Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. And I'm Ryan Ireland from ryanireland.com. And today we're just doing a little stand-up talking about some stuff. And one of the things that I've been doing on some of these, Ryan, is I've been bringing up words that I have found interesting. I've always been interested in etymology, in other words, word origins. Yes. So I got a word for you. All right. This is a where you make that, me look stupid or, or expose me as being stupid. Go ahead. I know. I was actually thinking about that. I was like, you know what? In fairness, like you should come with some words because I'm yeah. not, that's not the intent. But no, no, in, in, in any event, avocado is a word that you as a vegan probably are familiar with avocado. It's probably a staple of your diet. It's probably something that you eat on a regular basis. Am I correct? Yes. Usually in the form of guacamole, but yes. Well, it's still, you know, it's a different form of avocado. Correct. So avocado actually has kind of an interesting etymology. Are you aware of uh, anything about avocado? Don't Google it. Don't do anything like that. Didn't you misspell it in the show, in the topic notes here? I mean, probably. Okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, but I actually don't know the etymology of the word avocado. So apparently it comes from an Aztec word, ahucatl. Does it mean giant seed or something? Giant pit? Giant? So what it actually means... Is it means testicle. Oh, gosh. So <laughs> when you, and if you cut an avocado in half and you leave the little pit kind of sitting in there, yeah. you will understand exactly why it has that derivation. So I, I just wanted to, you will never look at an avocado again now, Ryan. When you cut one open to eat it, you will never no. look at it again. Nor will I ever take my chef's knife and slam it into that pit in the middle <laughs> to get it out and think the same thing again. You can just consider yourself like a vasectomy surgeon every time you go in there to cut up your avocado. That is not how a vasectomy works as far as I know. I, I've had one done, and I know it's. Thank God, it's not how it works. They don't come at you with a with a chef's knife. That would be horrendous. I mean, it's already horrendous enough. But yeah, whatever. That's a topic for another day. It's a There's different another podcast. One. Yeah, maybe a different podcast. <laughs> so I do have something related to tech. Another word that I wanted to talk to you about. That word is proxy. Do you know what a a proxy is? I mean, a proxy is something that stands in front, like in terms of networking. It, it well, stands just in, in general, front of, or either in terms of networking or in. It's general, something that or, that is is in between two things and yep. plays a role to help take something that comes at it and pass it through to the, the thing behind it. Is how yeah, and I, I think in, in olden times, uh, royalty might have a proxy that is allowed to act on their behalf, uh-huh. you know, to yeah. sign agreements and do, do all that on, kind of on good on somebody's stuff. behalf, that makes sense. So the reason I wanted to bring it up is not, it's not yet another word origin thing. It's more in the framing of tech. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about a proxy server or a proxy, it's something that is sitting out there on the internet and it's kind of acting for something else. And I'm bringing it up because I recently had to implement a reverse proxy. And I thought it would be interesting to, a lot of people that I have talked to are a little bit fuzzy on the difference between a proxy and a reverse proxy. So I just wanted to get into it real quick. Yeah. So we did an episode on Party Town. And so you're Coming out of that, I know you spent probably way too long <laughs> working on, on Parties Town stuff, but you did have to set up a reverse proxy, right, to get that to work? Correct. And we're not going to get into the where's and why's. We, we did that on a previous Dev Mode episode. If you're interested in Party Town, check it out. There's also a discussion on a CraftQuest video, so you can check them out there, and we'll, we'll link to those in the show notes. But I think if you want to know the difference between a proxy and a reverse proxy, here is a really easy way, I think, to think about it. 
So the full name of a proxy is really a forward proxy. Mm. And that's why there is such a thing as a reverse proxy. And as you mentioned before, a proxy in general is something that acts on something else's behalf. So a forward proxy is a server that sits between the client and a server. So it's you might have a forward proxy where you before you go out on the internet, it goes through a, a proxy server. A firewall can be thought of as kind of a, a proxy in a way. A reverse proxy is a proxy server that sits between the server and something else. So that's the only difference is when you're using a proxy, the client is going through the proxy to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. When you're using a reverse proxy, the server is going through the proxy to go somewhere else. Ah, so if you so think about the where it sits, if you have a cloud in the middle, yeah, it's okay. Got it. Exactly, exactly. And I guess you could say that a reverse proxy is a type of proxy, just as a forward proxy is another type of proxy. So a proxy in general is just something that sits in between something else or represents something else. And the forward or the reverse just says where it sits. And so this is where it would be helpful to use the full name for both of them rather than a shorthand name yeah. for the forward proxy. Yeah, just to be more specific about it. But I thought that was something that I would mention real quick because yeah. it's a little point of confusion and I get it, man. You know, like what's the difference between a forward proxy and a reverse proxy or a proxy and a reverse proxy? I mean, that's it. It's really all it is. A proxy is something that stands in for something else. It's going to be a server in between one thing and another. A forward proxy is one that the clients go through and a reverse proxy is something that the server goes through. That's it. That's all it is. Next time we should we should talk about what cores is. <laughs> well, yeah, let's. Uh, that that'll be a whole nother issue and a whole <laughs> whole nother level of frustration. Indeed. So another thing I wanted to bring up real quick, Ryan, is I know you are an avid runner, right? Yes. And how long have you been an avid runner? Seven years. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, not long. I started basically my first midlife crisis was getting in, part of that was getting into running. <laughs> some people go by fast cars. Not me. Some people, yeah, some go people to get strip like joints, new other... new spouses and fast cars. <laughs> I, I I just started running. And the reason I'm bringing it up is we have talked about as a developer, you spend a whole lot of time focusing on really, really hard problems. And it's good to have some kind of a diversion or something that takes you completely out of it. And mm -hmm. I'm guessing that running is something that does that for you? Yes, it does. Absolutely. It, it also connects me with people that are not in the same space as me. I normies. Do, it connects well, you to I mean, normies. I, run, I mean, I live in Austin, <laughs> so I do run with a lot of, I'm always running probably with one software developer or someone yeah. in similar space. But they're typically just from different backgrounds. I mean, maybe they work at a big corporation. Maybe they're in product management or in marketing. So it's, it's nice. I run with someone that's a judge. I run with all sorts of different people. And I, I kind of dig that. But yeah. Yes, it is to get away from this and to stop the incessant chatter in my head. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be running, right? It can be something else. Running mm -hmm. just happens to be something that works for you and is good for your body as well as your mind in terms of taking your mind off of the stuff that you're doing and focusing on some other hard task. And I, in a former life, I guess I was a runner. I, I did a... a a bunch of running a long time ago. I don't even want did to say how long. Did you do a triathlon or something? No, I did. I did a couple of marathons. Okay. I actually I didn't even realize it, but I did two in the same year. Oof. And then I just kind of gave up. I was just like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> but. One of the things that I've been doing is I have advocated going on a hike every day. So it's something that I get out. I've got trails right near my house. I go outside, yeah. I go on a hike, I clear my mind, I do all that kind of good stuff. I have made a number of aborted attempts at doing 5K training, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason why those attempts have been aborted is 
partially injury. So I've been running on trails and I, I twisted my ankle a number of times and tried to get back out there sooner than I should have. Yeah. And it, it was kind of stupid on my part. When I did it, it was I would be running when it was dark out. So I couldn't see <laughs> couldn't see the roots coming and stuff like that. And the reason I'm bringing it up is, Ryan, I am I, I wouldn't talk about it unless I was almost there, but I am on my last week yeah. of 5K training. So after I get this week's training done, which the weather is not cooperating, I'm supposed to do a run today and it's it's wet and miserable outside. I don't mind running. I've run in, I've done this during the absolute frigid cold up here in upstate New York. I don't mind that. I don't mind running in snow. I don't mind running in rain when it's warm outside, but when it's cold and rainy, I just, I I chicken out, Ryan. I chicken out. Well, it's not fun. It's the only time when I've, because I do a lot of trail running too, but it's the only time on the trail, especially when I'm kind of concerned about safety, which is Mm, rain at around 50 degrees or below. You can, especially if you're running alone, you can hurt yourself and then hypothermia can kick in pretty quickly. Well, I'm Uh, insulated like an Arctic walrus, so I'm not (laughs) concerned about the the hypothermia part. It's just really unpleasant. Yeah, no, it is unpleasant. And I don't mind unpleasant things. I mean, I do development for a living, so I don't mind unpleasant things. So I've been running in the cold and everything, but again, when it's, I'm hoping that it clears up because I really do want to get my run in today. Even on days when I have a little bit of a headache or I'm not feeling great or I'm a little tired, I always keep in mind that I always feel better after I have done whatever my activity is, whether it's hiking or weight training or running. I always feel better. So I try and use that to push myself to do it. But if it's cold and rainy out, Ryan, there is a shot that I might not run today. I really might not do it. So one thing that you have to keep in mind is that this activity, whatever it is, shouldn't cause you stress. It should help relieve stress. So if you don't do the run today, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to run the 5K. Um, I I understand. But I like to... One of the things, one of the reasons why I'm doing a training program is it's nice to have something that says, on this day, you should do this. And you're like, okay, I should do this. And that's my, the limited amount of structure that I allow into my life, I guess. Now there is, you know, there is a saying that you never regret having gone for the run, right? Afterward. But you will regret if you skip it. But I, I, I like to not like stress myself out too much. An absolute worst case, Ryan, if I really, really wanted to do it, my wife has a treadmill that she runs on every day. There you go. It was funny because when we got it, I was like, ah, you know, we're, this is, we're going to be hanging clothes on this. But man, <laughs> yeah. for years, she has run on it almost every day during the week, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. So I could run on that. The only downside to running on that is I have to face the humiliation of running in front of my family. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I look like a, a rhinoceros that's going out for a little jog. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a little bit, I don't know. Like, I, I kind of like just doing it on my own if I can. But my son is also into running and he has wanted to come with me. So it looks like I'm going to take him with me today, assuming the weather clears up. But again, steering this back to tech and development, people are like, why are you talking about your exercise stuff? I just think it's something to keep in mind. humans. <laughs> yeah, it's a good idea. Just have something. It doesn't have to, it doesn't even have to be exercise necessarily, right? Just something that gives you comfort that is different. And I like your idea of it being something that surrounds you with people that are not in the tech community. For me, I just, I tend to like doing this solo. I think the reason may be that it's difficult for me still. And I like just not having people look at me when I'm struggling. You know, I told my son, if we go on this run, he's been doing cross country for a while. He's also 13 and he's ripped and all that stuff. I'm like, look, dude, when we go for this run, you just run at your own pace and just don't worry about me because I don't want to 
kill myself trying to keep up with him. And I don't want, I want him to have a good workout when he does it. Yeah. So maybe when I, if I graduate to the point where I feel super comfortable going on the the runs, then, then maybe I would do that. But I know for a fact that I will be uncomfortable today for the run, not just the rain part. We did a pretty intensive chest workout the other day. Mm-hmm. So my, my boobies are sore, Ryan. Oh, so what, what happens then? No, but what happens then is every bounce when yeah. you run, your muscles tense up a little bit as you're going and it, it it's going to be sore like every footstep. Not, not yeah. terribly bad sore, but a little bit sore. I think you'll be okay. You'll be all right. Well, we'll see what happens. I don't yeah, know whether well, I, I think will that, do it. I think it's good that you're doing it. But, it doesn't but have to be I running. Can, I, I know a lot of people that like to cycle. For yeah. me, cycling is just a, it's kind of dangerous in Austin, at least for me, but there's a huge cycling community. And also I try to fit my running into a busy schedule, but also not be away from my family that much when, when they're home. So I'm, I run typically five something in the morning, a couple of times a week, but always before 8 a.m. out running. There was a uh, time when I used to cycle to work. So when I owned a software oh, okay. company, our office was about 21 miles away. Yeah. And I would bike to and from work. We had a shower at the office, so it was no mm-hmm. big deal. Could just shower when we got there. But I, I did that mostly because I also had a weight loss bet with a friend of mine, and I really, really wanted to beat him. And it was a great way to <laughs> you and force bet. yeah, that makes some sense. exercise. Just sitting on a bike for some reason doesn't do it for me. Just getting on a treadmill, I don't enjoy that nearly as much as I do getting out and running outside. I don't know what it is. My wife does it all on the treadmill. I m- enjoy doing exercise so much more or cardio exercise so much more when it's outside. I'm not sure why. Yeah, I'm the same way. So when is your, or are you running like a 5K race, like an organized race, or is it just your own 5K you want to run? No, just after this week is done, the next step after that on the little training thing is 5K, right? So it's, I'm almost there. Like my last run was 2.96 miles. So- Oh, you're- you're, you're a few hundred yards away. You got it. Yeah. So it's pretty close. It's pretty close. We're getting there. But you That's know, part awesome. of that is they have a warm up where you walk to warm up. So it's still not quite like I would guess in, in terms of actual distance I ran, it was probably maybe 2.6, 2.7 miles. But still, it's it's getting there. It's getting there. Yeah, it's all about progress. Excellent. Well, y- you had an interesting tweet that you brought up, came on tech Twitter that you <laughs> wanted to talk about. And tech do you want to read the tweet or, or should I? Are you talking about the learning web development one? Yes. I'm talking about the only thing that was on your list of things to talk about. <laughs> okay. So this person, I don't know who this is. Is this someone that's well-known in Web3? I don't know who writer? this person is, but at least based on their history, experience, followers, it's probably someone that is is fairly steeped okay. in the web development business. So it says, want to make web learning web development easier, break it into two paths, front-end and back-end, with the front-end being HTML, CSS, JavaScript, Tailwind, React, and then Git, and then the back-end being Node, Express, MongoDB, and Heroku, and then revisit CSS. <laughs> is what he has. <laughs> yeah. And um, when I saw this tweet, so first of all, <laughs> nothing against the person who is tweeting this because I think it's probably very, very reasonable in a certain community and absolutely. from a certain point of view. But when I saw this tweet, and not me, but when I saw this tweet, I was just like, wow, so many people are going to be so triggered by this. Like they're, yeah. they're going to go crazy. Like, what do you mean revisit CSS? What do you mean? What do you mean <laughs> react? And then just looking at the the list of things that are supposed to make web development easier, like the, the list of things that you're expected to know. It's just, I found it really interesting, Ryan. I think some people might take issue with this. I only took issue with the backend stuff, really. React, I see React being a stand, like a, a placeholder for insert framework here. Yeah, sure. Um, it was interesting that Tailwind is in there. 
I think the only thing that, that really got me was the backend part, since there are tons of ways of creating backends for, for sites that aren't Node.js, Express, MongoDB, and then Heroku. That just seems so odd. Like it's so, that's a platform as a service tool. It would, it would be like saying DigitalOcean or something. It's just strange. I don't think it's odd from the perspective of someone who is more of a front-end developer, Yeah. but but they need to have something running on a backend, and Heroku is just that as a service. Spin it up and use it. It's true. The, the thing that I found really interesting is, it's an analogy I've made before, is that in the web development world, there are lots of little tide pools. <laughs> and you, you go into every little different tide pool and it's entirely different than the other one. I mean, they're both, they're all just like kind of living, doing their thing. But man, is it so different. Like if you showed this to a Ruby developer, they'd be like, right. what? And I also thought that some purists would take big issue with the idea that Tailwind is something you should learn and revisit CSS later or that React was a requirement on there. Right. I will grant you that Git these days is something that, I'm sorry, you just really have to get at least somewhat familiar with it because it's what everyone is using, mm -hmm. some kind of a, a version control system. And I just thought that there are lots of people that would hear this and say, what, this is, I'm a professional web developer. I've been doing it for a decade. I use only the, the first two things on this list. What are you talking about? Yeah. Now the Tailwind thing doesn't bother me because I am definitely pro Tailwind. I've never really enjoyed writing a lot of CSS. It, it just hasn't been something that, that really spoke to me, but I could definitely see it triggering a lot of people. Cause I guess, and this is the thing, talking about like little tide pools is I think I like hang up mostly in the, the tide pool where there people are using a, a Tailwind a lot, but my generation of web development, which is late 90s, kind of getting started, there's still people that, that are my age still think that everyone should be writing hand-rolled CSS where you're kind of like building it like on a per-project basis. Right. I'm not that person, but I could definitely see people getting upset about this. Yeah, that's the other thing is when I say that I thought people would take issue with this tweet, I really don't. I, I look at this from the perspective like, yeah, this for this guy who is a JavaScript developer, this makes complete sense to me. And if you want to spend your time learning one language and getting really good at JavaScript, then it makes complete sense to me, even though on the back end, I'm typically doing stuff in PHP. I do, I do some in JavaScript as well. Yeah, that, I just think about being in college and writing a... <laughs> um, a paper and then I would get a note back from my professor saying I need you to define web development before you go and talk about how to learn it because oh boy we're we're all obviously working from different definitions of web development here. And I think something is happening in terms of people that are web developers have either had to become much, much more technical, mm -hmm. much more technical, Absolutely. like, you know, get uh, really good at, at, you know, initially JavaScript was just a way to animate a banner or do some kind of silly little thing. Now you're doing full on application development in it. Yeah. And, and so I've actually said to people, I've actually qualified my use of front-end developer with, in parentheses, in the traditional sense. Because right. when I started, a front-end developer was part one, which is HTML, CSS. Yeah. And then they could barely scrape by on part two. And then everything else, no. There was no actual like writing of application code or anything like that. Yeah. No, for sure. As I mentioned, as a developer, you become much, much more technical in terms of learning JavaScript and learning all of these comp sci concepts. Like I had a, a buddy of mine that was recently applying for a front end developer job. And we looked at some of the sample questions on there. And I'm like, these are comp sci questions. These mm -hmm. are fizzbuzz, implement this algorithm, you know, this, that, and the other thing. These are actual comp sci things, you know, not, not something that would typically, historically, have been in the realm of front end developer. And on the other side of things, people then say, you know what? 
but I, I don't really want to get into that super technical programmatic thing. The other fork of front-end web developers are people that are leaning more and more on tools like a Webflow or a Wix, and they're they're using their design skills to bring the thing together, and they're letting some other kind of platform take care of the rest of that. So it's a real, real interesting divergence, not just between front-end and back-end, but between front-end developers who want to become more technical and get into the real programmatic JavaScript side of things, and front-end developers that want to lean more on the design side of things and leverage tools like Webflow and Wix and Squarespace and all that kind of stuff. This just gets back to spending your time where you bring the value. And also, not just the value, but what you want to be doing. I don't think every front-end developer should necessarily want to become an expert at JavaScript. Some might say, you know what, I, I enjoy the visual aspect of it more. I enjoy the design element more. But I, I thought that this tweet was, was kind of interesting <laughs> because it's one of those things that in this person's world and the people that follow him, everyone's like, oh yeah, this is great. This is perfectly reasonable. Like, I totally get this. And I guarantee you there's another faction of web Twitter. Oh yeah. There's another faction of tech Twitter that if they saw this, it'd be like, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? You know, this is not, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I mean, there's there could be 12 different versions of this post. Yeah. And, and they would all be valid and they would all exist simultaneously in different parts of web developer world. For sure. Everyone can play in their tide pool and there's nothing, there's nothing yeah. wrong with it. And you, you said you had issue with the back end. Again, I, I think it makes complete sense if you want to just get good at one language. Why learn another back end language? Just run JavaScript on the server and get really good at JavaScript and never have to worry about switching syntaxes between PHP and JavaScript. Even me, I've used JavaScript and PHP and a number of other languages and I know them pretty well, but sometimes I'm like, how do I do this in PHP again? Or how do I do this in JavaScript? <laughs> I know how to do it. Right. I don't know what the syntactic sugar or the, you know right. what I'm saying? And when you're switching context like that all the time, it can be, it can be a little irritating sometimes. But isn't the hard work knowing how to break the problem down and approach it, not necessarily how to do it in X, Y, or Z? I would agree that that is the hard work or that is the the skill that it, it is really good for you to get good at. But still, it's something you encounter on a daily basis that it can be kind of annoying. And I could see how it could be really appealing to just spend all your time getting really good at this one language and just never have to deal with that. So Ryan, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about was all-inclusive resorts. <laughs> So you and I had talked about you were interested in going on vacation and you wanted to go to an all-inclusive resort. Mm -hmm. And as usual, I had an opinion on that. And I said, oh, man, do you really want to go to an all-inclusive resort? And so from your perspective, tell us why you were interested in going to an all-inclusive resort. Sure. Because there's no work involved in anything related to that vacation. You get on a plane or drive if you're within driving distance of, of something, and then you just show up and all the food is, it's basically a cruise except less gross than a cruise. Everything is there. You don't have to worry about food. If you drink, you don't have to worry about drink. You, you don't have to have any of those worries. And you, you can just literally your wristband sit. on. You get yeah, your wristband you can just on. Sit yeah. And relax. I like different types of vacations. I really, really like and haven't done in a long time. Just one of those unlimited time to be at the beach, poolside, just sitting and not doing anything. And maybe somebody will bring uh, bring us food and, and drink right to our chair. So you want to be served like a Roman emperor on your vacation. No, you I mean, sit there and bring me peeled grapes. 
Oh. I just sometimes just want to do something different. I do enjoy adventure-ish vacations or visiting family vacations. There's different types. But the true disconnect, I don't even want to open a laptop or do anything. I just sit around and hang out. And the reason is, is because for me at least, it takes probably anywhere between three to five days for my brain to truly wind down mm, into where I can mm-hmm. start to disconnect and kind of yep. free up some of the space that's been occupied by stress and projects and that chatter that you have going on, kind of that narrative of going on in your head the whole time. It takes a long time for me for that to calm down. And I can't do that. My brain's always being stimulated by this thing or that thing. And that's that's kind of when you're sitting around not doing anything, reading, like reading for me is the ultimate wind down Mm. activity. That makes total sense to me because I, I remember I went on a trip a long time ago, and it was on a liveaboard boat in mm. uh, Papua New Guinea, like in that kind of area of the South Pacific. Sounds a good way to vomit every day, but go ahead. Well, it didn't didn't really bother me. It was a, it was a diving trip, so I've been an avid diver for a long time. I haven't gone actual diving really much since I had kids, but I used to do it quite often. And I remember going on the trip, and I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm going to be so bored. I'm just going to be sitting on this boat. And like you said, it took a couple of days to, to switch off and wind down and all that kind of stuff. And the reason why I'm bringing up this topic in general is getting back to what we're talking about for running is vacations are sort of like a large version of running in that there's something that in an extended period of time takes you out of your day-to-day stuff. Whereas the the running or other activities like that are just kind of like a, a small segue out of your normal world. Vacations are sort of a bigger version of that. And I think it's important to do that as well, you know, to really mm-hmm. take yourself out of it. But anyway, back to the boat. So after a couple of days, I was actually, I I was totally relaxed, like everything was good. And I had this weird feeling though, because I was so connected and I was so involved in reading the news and what was going on in the world. I felt like I was missing everything. And I was on this boat for a month, I think it was. Like it was a pretty pretty long period of time. Yeah, We did have some port stops, so it wasn't just, but it was was an amazing, amazing vacation. And when I got back, I still had this little bit of feeling like I missed out on something. I turned on the TV and it was just the same bullshit was going on now as when I left and I'm like you know what I missed absolutely nothing <laughs> you know what I mean I really did I really sure. missed nothing and it was it was all good it was all kind of in my head in terms of the all-inclusive resorts I have been on vacations like that before I tend not to like them. and the reason I tend not to like them is very specific so if I if I'm traveling to another country I think going to an all-inclusive resort is a terrible way to do it and I'm gonna explain why yep like so if you're going to another country the whole point of that at least to me is to look at other cultures, see how they live, experience something different than your own. And that's a whole point in my mind of of going to these places. If you go to an all-inclusive resort, it doesn't matter where it is. It could be in Barbados. It could be in the the Cayman Islands. It could be in Florida. It could be anywhere. And it's going to be the same damn thing. It's going to be a hotel with a pool, with a buffet and a beach. And it it makes no difference where you are. So if you're going to bother to go out of the country, to go to a, a different place, I feel like, I don't know, I just wouldn't want to do that. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. It's like, so I think you you and I are both Marriott customers, stay at a lot of Marriott's. 
But it's like going and staying at a Marriott somewhere. I actually try not to do that in a place I've never been that's otherwise unique because then you're basically, you're staying in a hotel that looks like any other hotel yeah. in the US. I agree. Perhaps the solution is instead of booking a one-week vacation in that location, I book three and one of them is spent at the all-inclusive and the other two are spent having a little bit more cultural experience. And again, you know, what works for me is not what works for other people. I'm just vocalizing my yeah. reasoning on these things. If you went to an all inclusive somewhere and the whole point was you just wanted to get away like a spa kind of deal go to go to a nice one that's in florida or somewhere not that far from you don't spend all the time and money and just go somewhere where you can do just that and don't have the veneer of right. oh we're going to this exotic country because you're not like you're, yeah. you're going to a hotel that could be <laughs> right. anywhere there definitely are different ways of being a tourist and it also changes over time now that i have kids i change the kind of vacation because i think about things that i would normally like to do i'm like oh my god that would be absolutely hell on wheels with the kids <laughs> like i'm not gonna try to do that but like a vacation i did a long time ago i really enjoyed is my brother and i flew to costa rica and we had no plans we were there for a month we had no plans. All we had was a travel book. And my brother speaks fluent Spanish because he lived in Madrid for over 10 years. And we just talked to people and traveled around and went to places that people said were cool. And we had no plans to do anything. And I, I just love that, man. I, I thought that was really, really cool. Now, to try to do that with kids now would be horrendous, very likely, depending on the age of the kids, because they'd be like, I'm bored. You know, I don't want to, they, they won't appreciate the same things necessarily. Yeah. And the lack of structure of the day to day. Last summer, I think it was last summer, we went down to New York City and we went to the Natural History Museum and that kind of thing. And one of my kids was very into it and was checking everything out. And the other was just an absolute nightmare. Like just <laughs> absolutely, like if you're in a very small pool, he was the one that was just peeing in it constantly. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it made me just not want to do that. So it depends on your your family situation and, and yeah. kind of what you're doing. I just, I don't blame you for wanting to go to an all-inclusive resort. I just was down in, in Texas and I, I went in and passing by the gym, I saw that they had a spa there. And I was like, ooh, mm -hmm. why not? So I signed up for, get this, I got a, a full-on massage. I got a facial done, Ryan. Like I did all of these things. I can tell. I can tell. Oh, you're right. And, and it was awesome. Like it was a lot of fun. It was very relaxing. But yeah. I wouldn't, I would never fly to somewhere interesting and go to an all-inclusive resort, at least interesting to me, because th that's what I get out of traveling. But now I want to segue this. Mm -hmm. We've heard about developers that are designer devs. Mm -hmm. I want to coin a new term, Ryan. The new term is the tourist dev. All right. And I, I want to preface this by I love being a tourist. I really do. I love visiting cities and different places in the world and different cultures. I do my best to learn some of the language when I go there and to not stay at just the, the typical place. And, you know, I've stayed in hostels. I go, go all over the place. And it, it's kind of similar for development. I enjoy being a little bit of a development tourist. Like when some shiny new co thing comes out, I get excited and I want to check it out. But we think we've all seen on Twitter the tourist dev. And it's the person that they stay in all-inclusive resorts exclusively. They're constantly traveling the <laughs> development world, staying in whatever the new all-inclusive resort is, you know, like whatever new technology comes out, they're all spouting out about it for a very long time. And then you don't hear from them for a week. And then there's another shiny thing that they're talking about. My term that I'm coining is the tourist dev. Have you ever seen what I'm talking about on tech Twitter? I have. I, I have. I don't spend a ton of time on Twitter, but I have. I know what you're talking about. And I think in general, it's good to get to sort of be up to speed. I think that's what you're good at is just surveying the landscape of what's new, what's out 
out there, but I don't think it's so great to go to jump in and go deep on everything. You have to have some measure of restraint. You have to be like, oh, like I'm that, that sounds interesting, but that doesn't apply to me right now. So I'm gonna put that on, on the back burner. That actually happened to me in the fall when the Nux 3 beta came out. I started working with it, working with it, and then I realized, like, oh, this isn't ready. Like mm. back then. It and so I just put it on the back burner rather than spinning my wheels on stuff that where they were still working out bugs. But there was a lot of heat around it at the time. And then yep. it, it, it kind of dissipated a little bit. But yeah, I, I know what you're talking, I know what you're talking about about for sure. And again, I love being a tourist, whether it is traveling tourist or a tech tourist where I'm constantly checking out new stuff. But as I say, it's a very different thing to vacation somewhere than it is to live there. And I just want to caution people, you'll see tourist devs on Twitter that are constantly hopping from one thing to another. And there is no way in this world that they have spent any reasonable amount of time with the, the technology du jour to be able to actually live with it. They're really just kind of like tourists going to all inclusive resorts everywhere where they're traveling to somewhere just because of the name. They want to be able to say, I've been to Jamaica, hashtag mm-hmm. Jamaica, without getting out and seeing what it's really like. I yeah. think there's an analogy there. I, th- I think there is. I'm trying not to be too critical of people that do it because I think that it could be a lack of a lack of focus that could have other underlying reasons. Sure. And I think that is, is you're right to caution people to not think that that's normal to do that because if anything, we should all, technology moves, moves really quickly, but it doesn't move if you don't go on social media and just generally try to get good at the part of your craft that you work on, it actually moves fairly slowly. And if you invest in that slow work and that slow progress and don't feel like you have to jump from one thing the next, you know, we've all seen people who just, they don't publicly announce their developer tourist activities, but you see it sometimes where they, where they jump from one thing to the next. You're like, well, like how about just going deeper on getting good at one thing? Right. And then, and you can learn so much more that way because you could actually learn how to be a better developer. You can learn how to be a better designer. If you're not jumping from one design tool to the next, or, you know, always migrating your personal blog to the next hotness with the risk of, of being accused of that because I do training. So I do actually try to show people new things all the time. To an extent, you have to do that. Right. right? I mean, it, it makes sense that you would have to be the one that surveys the landscape and, and tries to come up with, with training on this type of thing. And I don't want to crap on anyone because I think the enthusiasm is fantastic, right? If one of the reasons why you're constantly checking out the new thing is just you're super enthusiastic about technology, then then great. Yeah. All I'm saying is be aware of this when you're on social media. Be aware that a lot of developer Twitter or developer other social media sources, there's an Instagram filter on on this stuff, Ryan. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like there is this totally. filter that the person, there's just no way that you're ever going to be extremely good at anything if you're constantly hopping from one thing to another. Yeah, I agree. And I, I don't know if you're just trying to goad me into some sort of anti-social media rant, but I'm, I'm getting pretty close. Ryan, we're just having a conversation. So wherever, <laughs> wherever you want to take it, you can take it. I don't think in there's general, anything. I will just say this. In general, I will say that more people need to spend less time on social media. It is not the real world. It tends to be, like if you go talk to your neighbors, they're not spouting off about the same things you read on social media. They're actually more concerned about the slow life of what's just happening around them. Right. And I would encourage people to, and I think it's the same thing with developer, Twitter, or social media. It's much different than what people are working on. Most people are just working with the same tools they may have been working with for the last three or four years and they're trying to get really good at them. And those and I tools feel like, are still completely fine. And I feel like I'm, I could be accused of being somewhat hypocritical in talking about this because I do 
do, check out lots of new technologies and things that are going on, whether it's, you know, Vite or Partytown mm-hmm. or Nuxt or Vue or you know, Svelte or any, any of these things. But one of the things that I try to do is I try to survey the landscape and then I, I try to pick something that I think is going to have value for me. And then what happens, Ryan, it's kind of costly for me because then I kind of disappear down a rabbit hole, you know, whether <laughs> wh- whatever it is. And I try to get a little in depth with the thing to see, you know, hey, is this really something that is going to be beneficial to me? And then I try to actually use it for something practical. Doesn't always pan out. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll get down a little bit down that rabbit hole and I'll be like, oh, you know, no, it, this isn't it. It is something that I try to do is get a little bit in depth on some of these things. Like I am using the stuff that I talk about on production. Right. And you're not just tweeting about it. Well, I just want to caution people. And, and look, by no means am I trying to say that I'm an expert on these things either. We're all always learning. Right. All I'm trying to say is just as you don't want to measure your looks or your value based on people's highly filtered Instagram pictures, you also don't want to measure your value as a developer based on tourist devs that are constantly tweeting about the new technology. And then what do you mean you're not using CoffeeScript, you know, to rewind <laughs> eight right. years ago? You know what I'm saying? Like, just keep that in mind. What you're working on right now is okay. And if you identify as a front-end developer and you're mainly converting designs into, you know, modern HTML, CSS, it's a perfectly good skill, I think. Spend your time where you bring the value. Exactly. And with what interests you. And one of the things that I am going to kind of preach about, though, is if you are a developer, publish your work. Open source your work. Let other people take a look at it contribute to existing open source projects if you can. Try not to be intimidated. A lot of the times people would love to have your contribution, even if it's just an idea, even if it's just fixing the grammar. And I think it makes everyone better when you contribute to some of these open source projects rather than, I've seen it happen with a lot of things that I put out. So I'll put out something and someone will be like, oh, this thing is great. And they'll they'll make their own copy of it and they will modify it. Mm -hmm. And this is all great. Like it's all out there so you can use it and learn it and do whatever you want with it. And then they'll tell me how much better they made it, but they'll never contribute anything back. They'll never say, hey, this is a a way that I found out to do something cool. Let me do a pull request. And then everyone benefits because I'm far from an expert in a lot of these things. So it's great when I get a pull request from somebody for one of the projects that I'm working on. Like I, I absolutely love it. So I would like to encourage people to, if you benefit from open source software, if you use projects that other people have created, it's great if you say thank Thank you. Like, that's nice. But the the greater good for everybody and for yourself, I will say, because I think that you will grow by having to formalize a contribution to some of these things. I think everyone benefits if you're able to contribute back. I agree. And I wanted to ask you, because I don't do that enough, but I want to ask you if, if you did a lot of that before you got into web development or if that's more something that you did since you started web development. No, not really. And this comes from an, an old school development point of view. Back in the day, I'm a Sound like a really old man now, Ryan. So Back in the, the day, <laughs> your source code was your secret sauce. Right. It was the stuff that you kept under lock and key and you didn't want anyone to see it because it was your competitive advantage or whatever. And that w- really was the mentality. And it wasn't just me. There were lots of people that had that opinion as well, where there was some distrust of open source. And I think we've gotten far beyond that because it's pretty clear that lots and lots of eyes will make things better. You know, mm-hmm. people, nobody's perfect. Other people will spot bugs or have use cases that you would never 
encounter. So I think we're, we're past that part of it. The part that I think some people get hung up on is one, not wanting to look silly mm-hmm. by publishing something that they don't think is, is quite there yet. Mm-hmm. And the other is just being, I don't know, just a little intimidated about contributing back to something or maybe not realizing how much benefit there really would be if they contributed back towards something. Yeah, and I think that you make a good point about the growth and the learning experience of doing that because you can get yeah. good feedback on, like if, if it's code, you get good feedback on your code and if they're asking for an improvement in it, you could actually learn a lot. It's almost like an easy way to get some code reviewed by a peer. And I, I fully understand the idea that, well, I don't know if this thing is the best, so I don't really want to publish it or I'm not really sure if they would want this pull request even if I did it. My answer to that would be that just try it, put something out there. You may find that maybe no one looks at it. You know, maybe just your project, just nobody looks at it, but no big deal. At least you went through the step of putting it out there. But you may also find that other people will be looking at it. And even if your code isn't perfect, because no code is perfect, you may grow as a developer because other people will be like, hey, you know, this is how you could do this better. And you you see their pull request or their suggestions and you're like, oh, that, that's great. And there you go. You just got a mentorship, a little right. mini mentorship in, in getting better at something. And Andrew, I want to bring this all the way back around to running and your comment about not wanting to run in front of, you run by yourself, not running run in front of your family, is that I tell people that are new to running, sometimes people are really insecure about running out in public or running with other people because they might not have perfect form or look good, whatever, I'm using air quotes here, look good when they run. Oh, I'm well beyond that, Ryan. I already know that I don't <laughs> look good. But the, the thing is, and what I remind people is that no one is paying as much attention to you as you think they're paying attention to you. Very it, true. It's just not the case. And I think the same thing is with code. People might look at your project, but they're not looking at it with the critical eye that you are. So just keep that in mind. You and I put stuff out into the world all the time, whether it's code or or video or audio. And I'm sure we sound like asses sometimes, but it's just just part of it. And I'm, I'm super cognizant of that kind of stuff, but so don't don't worry about it as much. It tends not to bother me because I'm already I already realized that I'm not perfect and I'm like I'm fine with that, you know. Mm-hmm. And we do live streams all the time. I can't remember the one that that really got you flustered. Oh, the Alpine, I think it, we did one with with Alpine going yeah. in there cold, like neither one of us knew anything. <laughs> which, to be honest with you, probably wasn't the best because yeah. if we're trying to show people, you know, whatever. But it was kind of fun to just explore it and and check it out. But it was also very clear that we didn't really know what we're doing. But you know. That, that's fine. We're all learning. And the only reason I don't want to run in front of my family is because I got to live with, you, you know, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to, if I, I went running a on the family and I know that, that family, especially siblings are, they can be the meanest people sometimes. It's not even the meanness. I just know <laughs> that I'm going to get up there on the treadmill and one of the kids is going to go over and be like poking my belly the whole time <laughs> and just stuff that I just, I don't want to have to deal with. You know what I mean? I just want to go well, and do my thing. That's when you take away the iPad for three months. That seems like sending the wrong message, Ryan. I don't, I, I don't know what the message is, if it's wrong or right, or just a message. But that is one thing that I like about the decision that Pixel and Tonic made about their plugins, which is that if you wanted a Craft CMS plugin to be in the plugin store, it had to be in a public Git repo, Mm -hmm. which I think is some developers at the time were kind of complaining about it. I think that's a great decision, though, because I think that that has created a learning resource that makes it really easy for people to go check stuff 
out. And let's be honest, it also would be really easy for them to just pull down your package and expect inspect the code anyway. So what's the difference? At least have it on a platform where other people can contribute to it easily if they want to. I agree. So the only other thing I wanted to wrap up with, Andrew, is I don't know if you when the last time is that you did a screen recording on your Mac or even right now, if you look up to the right corner of your screen where you have, so we use Zencaster to record. Do you see a little an orange dot? I do not. Are you running Monterey? This operating system is Big Sur actually on this computer. Okay. So those of us that are on Monterey, so Apple has introduced for, this is a Mac OS thing, has introduced a lot of security and mm -hmm. general user awareness features. And one of them is that always know when your microphone or video camera is being accessed. Super important because you don't want to accidentally install software that is using your mic or your camera without your knowledge. Bad. But what they've added is in is this little orange or green dot in the top right. If you're in a browser, it's going to be in the top right of the screen. And it's impossible to get rid of it natively in without third-party code. The problem with this is that anytime you I record videos, screencasts as a job, that little dot is on every screencast that I record unless I find a way to remove it. And I think that there should be a way to opt out of a series of opt out of like which apps can allow that to happen because I can say I trust this app I know it and I even have them added as trusted in my system preferences and security there is an app called uh, by the low tech guys and there's one called yellow dot that you can download and run they have the speaking of open source you can look at the source code on github and it allows you to remove the little orange dot in the corner of your screen and they do they do some sort of hacky workaround to get it to work because it's a system level thing in mac os but if anyone's run into that and if you do recording, even if it's a recording for like a client or you're doing some sort of promo recording to show portfolio work or something like that, check it out. So that's my little mini rant is sometimes I feel like that Mac OS is turning into just a little bit too high maintenance with some of the security stuff. How many times have I had to hop on a, a Zoom call or, or some other Google Hangout, Google Meet, and it won't let me use my video camera unless I restart the whole browser. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I know we're trying to balance security and safety. And I actually agree with the, the letting me know when my camera is being used. It's the reason that there's a green LED on my iMac screen showing me that my camera is in use right now. But it's now they're actually permitting it, put it, permanently putting it on the screen and you can't even take it off. So Yellow Dot is the name of the app, lowtechguys.com slash yellow dot. That's my rant. I think my problems are pretty minor considering all the things in the world. It's clear that Ryan is more interested in the benefit to him as opposed to the benefit of the public. So that, that's fine. I understand. That. But that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe, tell a friend, drop us a review. We really appreciate it. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. And I'm Ryan Ireland. people getting scammed and just so you can have a clear recording can we actually drop that segment can you cut that I could why i don't know it didn't really seem to flow i feel like i in that point of the from everything else we're talking about i'll i'll, I'll listen to it if it's really okay. bad i'll get rid of it, but otherwise i'll keep it in i don't think it's i don't think it's probably too bad as a segue oh what was the docker compose thing oh god that again yeah. not stopping the recording i'll tell you about it real